Get ready, Avalanche territory. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans. Denver Sports is your home for the most Avalanche content. Now here's your host, Mike Evans. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I am Mike Evans. Good to see you. Good to be seen as we mercifully get to the end of this long, long regular season for the Avalanche to get started to look ahead to the uh, playoffs. Doing this right after the Avalanche lost to the Edmonton Oilers in overtime 2-1. to one. What, a, what a terrific hockey game, right? Just one of those games that, you know, for me as a, as a hockey fan and as somebody, as I've told you before on this, this show, I'm not really bothered or really caught up in where the Avalanche finish or who they play in the first round or home ice or anything like that. So I guess since I'm not exactly grinding over these final regular season games, it sort of freed me up to just kind of sit back and watch that as Oilers game just as a hockey fan. And boy, did I I loved it. I loved it. It was entertaining, two high-octane teams, a lot of firepower on the ice. You realize this was the first time since the 80s that you had a game featuring five players on the ice with 100 more points. The Az, of course, with Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon. The Oilers with uh, Connor McDavid, uh, uh, Dreisaitl, and uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So, a lot of talent on the ice. And it was an interesting game because, and I thought Jared Bednar gave us a good description of it in the second period when he did his on-ice interview with Emily Kaplan from ESPN. He said, you know, just two teams using their their skating ability to really go after each other, really tight forechecking and it, it was it was two teams using their skating ability not to create tons of wide open scoring chances and tons of goals it was really two teams using their ability to skate and to really get after each other defensively and to go after each other in a very intense uh, low scoring game that wasn't decided until overtime so and I think that's a good sign because as you look at the Avalanche right now, I sort of question their ability to be the high-powered hockey team, high-scoring hockey team that we saw a year ago on their way to winning the Stanley Cup. But they may have to win a different way this year in the playoffs. And I know I've been accused of being sort of Pollyannish about the Avs in the playoffs and nothing to see here and nothing to be worried about. And don't get me wrong, I I haven't changed that. I still don't believe, I haven't yet to be able to identify a team in the West that I think can beat this team four times in a best of seven. And a lot of times the argument is framed, well, you know, who's going to be tough to get by? Uh, Who who could uh, make the Avs sweat? Who could give the Avs a scare? You know, you're, you're describing... Everything right up until until being able to say this is the team that I believe is going to beat the Avalanche four times. Yeah, I mean I'm sure there are teams out there that can extend the Avs six, maybe even seven games, but it's finishing the Avs off and winning that fourth game and eliminating the Avs when the Avs know that they're playing in an elimination game. I just don't see that team yet. I don't see it in Dallas. I don't see it in Minnesota. I don't see it in the Kraken. Quite honestly, the only team. And I was correct about this a year ago when I said the Avalanche would cruise through the Western Conference part of the playoffs, but the only team that would give them some trouble would be St. Louis. I was right about that. The only team that's given me a St. Louis-type vibe right now 
is the Kings. And I, I, I know the Oilers are hot right now. I know they're the hottest team in hockey. Uh, I know they're playing very well. I know they have a lot of talented players. Uh, I still can't lose sight of the fact that this is an avalanche team that swept them in the playoffs a year ago. And are you telling me that this Edmonton team, granted, they've made some good additions. That Ekholm uh, addition on defense was one of the best moves of the trade deadline by by anybody in the NHL. Helps them. But it still comes down to uh, a team that's going to beat them four times, and I, I don't think the Oilers can do that. So, that said, uh, it's not like I am all... Uh, sunshine, rainbows, and kittens when it comes to the avalanche in the playoffs. I do have some concerns about the Avs. And where my biggest concern is is that I worry up front among their forward lines, are they too top-heavy? Because right now they're getting unbelievable play from Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. They've been top-notch. But Valeri Nachuskin isn't all the way back to the form that he was pre-injury. Certainly not the Nachuskin that we saw early in the season when he just came out on fire. Artori Lekkinen's working his way back from the busted finger. And you, you look at the supporting cast and you compare the supporting cast this year with what they had last year. And you realize, whew, there's a big drop-off when you start getting beyond Rantanen, McKinnon, uh, Nachuskin, Lekkinen. No Gabe Landeskog. And I think at this point, we all have to come to grips with the idea that Gabe Landeskog's not playing in the first series. He's not playing in the first round. It it just doesn't feel like it at all. Uh, Maybe by the second round, although those odds in my mind are becoming increasingly slim. So in my mind, I don't picture Gabe Landeskog out there for the Avs when they try to defend their cup. So no Gabe. No... Naz Kadri, although Calgary's been eliminated now. Think they'd like to loan him uh, for another playoff run? No Kadri. Even uh, favorite punching bag Andre Burakovsky, who uh, had some big goals in the playoffs, he's not here. And you look at the players that have been tasked with the responsibility of being the supporting cast, and right now I don't like the way it's trending. Uh, You look at J.T. Comfer, three goals in his last 15 games. Evan Rodriguez, two goals in his last 15 games. Alex Newhook. This was supposed to be Alex Newhook's big chance. Big chance. Big opportunity to really step up and establish himself as a bona fide top six forward in the NHL. One goal in his last 23 games. Logan O'Connor, two goals in his last 25 games. Andrew Cogliano, one goal in his last 27 games. So these are guys that you're going to be counting on to provide that secondary scoring that every Stanley Cup team needs to have. Uh, Lars Eller has been, you know, so-so since they got him. Um, So you're, you're looking at a team that last year had a lot of firepower to go along with McKinnon and Rantanen, and this year it's not the same. Uh, defensively, especially with the news that it looks like Kale McCarr and Josh Manson will both be back for the playoffs, I don't worry about the Avs defensively, and, and and that's good because they are going to have to rely a lot on their defensemen in the in these playoffs to score, uh, to create offense, as well as doing what they do defensively. Alexander Georgiev is going to have to be better than Darcy Kemper was uh, along the way to winning a Stanley Cup. So it's 
it's just going to be a different way that the Az are going to have to win this year in the playoffs. I don't think it's going to be the same as it was a year ago. They're just missing too many key guys uh, from last year's team. Um, they're going to have to win a different way. They're going to have to win. I think it's going to be a little lower scoring, a little bit more emphasis on defense. They're going to have to get uh, unexpected uh, or extra offensive uh, contributions from their defensemen, which, you know, on paper is, is, is something that you should be able to expect. Like I'm talking about, you know, not having a Gabe Landeskog or not having a Naz Kadri and how that's different from last year's team. But I'll tell you what's also different from last year's team. Bo Byram is prepared to do things offensively in this playoff run that he wasn't prepared to do a year ago. And you give me a healthy Kale McCarr with the idea that, hey, Kale, I need you to do a little bit more offensively this time around than maybe last year where you were already really good offensively. I need you to do a little bit more. You know what? I think he's got that in his reservoir to be able to do that. So uh, not it's not like everything is perfect when I look at the avalanche, but I do see still uh, a lot to like uh, about this team. And it really it doesn't matter who they're going to play or where. Now, if, if we're going to play the game, and I know we've been doing a lot of this with the Nuggets, you know, who, who would you like to avoid and all that? Um, I guess we could play that game when it comes to the Avs. Uh, you know by virtue of that win over Edmonton and Minnesota losing to Winnipeg that the Avs will have home ice in the first round of the playoffs, for sure. That's been clinched as we're doing this podcast. It now comes down to will they finish first Will they hold off Dallas? Will they finish first in the Central and play the Kraken in the first round? Or do they get overtaken by Dallas and play Minnesota in the first round? Either way, they're going to have home ice. Uh, Then it comes down to who do you want to play? Do you want to play Seattle? Uh, Do you want to play Minnesota? Uh, Who who do you want to play? It it really doesn't matter to me. Uh, Although it's funny because... The idea of you got to finish first. You got to finish first to make sure that you avoid having to go through Dallas and Minnesota. Uh, again, I I I have a I don't know quite where these two teams what these two teams have done recently to justify the boogeyman status that they've achieved in the eyes of some some Avalanche fans, especially the Wild. And, you know, it's funny, when I bring up the Wild, they're like, well, you know, they, they ended Patrick Waugh's career. And, well, they beat the Avalanche team that, that Patrick Waugh was coaching. Folks, we're talking about, like, 20 years ago. We're talking 10 years ago. Uh, why, why, why the recency, uh, why are we bringing events that are a decade to two decades old into this discussion? That has nothing to do with this current Avalanche team. Uh, there's nothing about the Minnesota Wild that they have any kind of hold over this current group of Avalanche. So I, I don't quite get that. I mean, you're, you're talking about the Matt Duchesne Avalanche. I mean, ooh, you know, I mean, come on now. Let's not compare that that group with this year's uh, this group that we've seen over the last couple of years. It's, it's apples and oranges. So I don't. I don't sweat the wild. I don't sweat Dallas. And it's funny, too, because, you know, you think about how important some people believe winning the division is. Well, winning the division could put you in a position where you play either a Kraken team in the first round who has a, and I get it, it, they're a second-year expansion team. But come on, we know enough as good hockey fans to know that the way that these expansion teams are being built now, 
they are being built so quickly that they can compete right away. Think about it. The last two expansion teams in the NHL, Vegas Knights, who went to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year, and the Seattle Kraken, who have over 100 points and are going to be in the playoffs in their second year. These are not grandpa, your grandfather's expansion teams that just get put together with a bunch of retreads and young guys and get their heads kicked in for 10 years before they finally uh, figure out. No, no. In the hockey, you can, with the dispersal draft and, and, and everything like that, shrewd trades, uh, the Vegas model, you can you can put up an expansion team together that can compete quickly. Seattle's doing that. Plus, they've proven to be really good on the road. they got one of the best road records in the NHL. So is that necessarily something that you you've, uh, root for as an Avalanche fan? And by the way, Seattle could still overtake uh, Los Angeles, and you could be getting Los Angeles in the first round. And see my comments from earlier uh, about do you really want to play L.A. in the first round? So, you know, really what it comes down to is, again, there's not a team that I look at that can beat the Az four times in a series. And if you start talking about Dallas, well, I guess in this case, if you start talking about Minnesota, Seattle, L.A. as a first-round opponent, and, and the idea that, you know, do you want to avoid going Minnesota, Dallas, and back-to-back rounds, I, you know, again, I don't, I, I, I just, I just, I'm sorry, I just can't summon up the angst uh, about this if uh if we're talking about concerns for the playoffs and this is why i'm one that looks at going for the division title as being perhaps counterproductive because if you are going hard for the division title if you somehow think that's important okay on one hand what you're doing is you're ensuring that your team is going to be engaged right up until the end and they should be engaged once the playoffs begin. Although didn't last year's Avs team prove that that's not that important? They have struggled down the stretch and then flipped the switch, and we know what happened after that. But at at the expense of going for the division title and feeling and treating these games like they're important, you know what you are doing is you're putting guys like Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon out there playing hard hockey, hard hockey, uh, right through to the end, and. I, I know what I'm about to say is kind of hypocritical because I'm somebody that rails against the NBA and its load management, but there is something to be gained by knowing that you're going to be in the playoffs and taking the opportunity during that final week to rest some of your key guys because you got to play the long game if you're Jared Bednar and the Avs. You can't get so caught up in this tunnel vision of how important you think it may be to win the division and burn out your stars in the process. Uh, you, you tell me what's more important, going all out to win the division or making sure that you have Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen ready to roll for the next two and a half months what's more important and yeah I I can I can probably hear some of you right now watching this say wow Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon they're in the prime of their careers and they're not going to get worn out these guys are cyborgs I mean they can they can play all night really can they because you're going to have teams that you know are going to be playing the abs and having a chance to just scout the abs and their game plans are going to be simple for all the reasons I just mentioned earlier about how some of the supporting cast has not stepped up and taken advantage of the opportunity given to them, 
What would be your game plan if you were playing the Avalanche? I would try to work over Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ranton as much as possible. I'd be physical with them. I'd send multiple guys after them. I would do anything I could uh, to wear these guys down. And if you're going to be looking at a approach like that, round game after game, round after round, is it going to catch up to them? I I can't imagine it wouldn't. And if you have a chance to somehow mitigate that a little bit by maybe giving some of these guys uh, some games off coming down the stretch, would that be smart in the long run? Versus the the, the immediate uh, goal of trying to go out and get uh, and win the Central Division, uh, you're you're taking short term girl goals, but at what kind of long term expense? So uh, that that's my opinion on that is um, is something to watch because again, you know, teams last year they couldn't say, hey, let's just load up on this this line or these guys because Jared Bednar had the resources to to know that he could. He could spread guys out. He he knew that he had secondary uh, sources of goal scoring that I don't think he can really feel confident that he's got this year. So they're going to be so reliant on Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ranton in up front. I just want to make sure that th- those guys are ready to go for what I figure to be, we all figure to be, a long haul uh, over the next couple of, of months. And one other quick thing about the the idea of you know trying to make the path as easy as possible throughout the playoffs. Hey, if, if I learned one thing by watching the Stanley Cup Finals last year, it was to gain a healthy, healthy respect for Tampa Bay and what Tampa Bay has been able to do. I mean, you're talking about going back-to-back, going to a third straight Stanley Cup final during these days of COVID where schedules were compressed and off-seasons were compressed and uh, they played long series and yet it didn't matter, right? I mean, (laughs) hockey players, just they just play and somehow they found a way to tap into some kind of reserve and, and, you know, here they were being the abs in Game 5 and extending that series back to Tampa for Game 6. So... Tampa is a a real good benchmark for what I believe we should expect of the Avalanche. And you know, just because the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup, it does not It's funny because a lot of times if a team wins a championship, right? It almost is like, "Well, okay, they won the championship, so that buys them a 5-year window of grace," right? A 5-year grace grace window, grace period. And yet when it comes to the Avs, I can't necessarily do that. I because I just watched them beat Tampa and what Tampa's been able to do. There's a, there's now a part of me that says, "Well, sorry, Avs, uh, you got to immediately follow up with either another Stanley Cup or another Stanley Cup run. Uh, you can't just go out quietly in the first or second round and then just be okay with. Well, they won the Stanley Cup a year ago. I, I know that's how it would be." Framed and I guess ultimately, once some time and the pain healed a little bit, I'd be able to look at it that all right, hey, they won the cup a year ago. Let's not get greedy. But right now, I am greedy. Right now, I am greedy. And as I sit here greedy, I'm saying, you know what? If Tampa was able to do what they've done the last couple of years, I expect the Avalanche to be able to do it. And so, you know, talking about the idea of path of least resistance and all that, hey, you know, if if the Avs are made of the right kind of stuff being forced to play um, a six-game series or a couple of seven-game series, 
Uh, if they're made of the right stuff, they'll find a way to be able to get it done, get through it, and keep advancing and do what Tampa's done, get back to another Stanley Cup, hopefully win it, and maybe we're the be in the early stages of them going to three straight uh, Stanley Cup finals. Either way, uh, thankfully, this long season is almost over. Next time we meet, next week, we'll be talking about a, a first-round playoff matchup. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for all these late nights. <laughs> Doing early morning radio with Mark Schlereth and getting up at the crack of, uh, well, still in the middle of the night when I get up, and knowing that we've got national networks that are ready to treat the Avalanche and Nuggets as a West Coast market, and we get 8.30 starts out here. Can't wait, especially since they're in back-to-backs, doubleheaders, so there'll be that game on before the Avs and Nuggets, and so that 8.30 start really won't be until 8.40 or 8.50. Yeah, can't wait. But, hey. First world problems, right? Uh, the worst thing to have to do is get up early after a late night and come in and talk about hopefully an exciting uh, hockey playoff game. So it's not the worst thing. Uh, I'll sign up for it anytime. Don't worry about it. Uh, we are done with this week's edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, would love your feedback. And we'll be back again next week as we get set for playoff hockey right here in Denver. We'll see you then.